You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Great to see you guys. I am, uh, I have to admit, I'm wondering, you know, we kind of do keep it real and what you see is what you get, but I have three magnetized happy little rainforest tree frogs on my, uh, little stand today, so I'm not sure, did somebody, when do you guys give me some little, that's your interesting, oh, got it, well, uh, I got your happy tree frogs right here, I thought maybe it was a gift to me, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to spread them out so you can all see, so they're looking at me, you know, as I, uh, as we share, so anyhow, uh, it's, uh, we just keep it real here. So we had a good time with outdoor service, truly. Just, we said it, it was hotter than we expected, guys. When we scheduled that, we thought, okay, how late? Like, we don't want this to be too cold, you know. Was, I think it'll be okay in early September. And like, it was the exact opposite. So anyway, uh, before I uh, open God's Word, I want to also encourage you guys, if you would, you know, we've asked you to fill out that survey that we're trying to take a step. Just really look at what's kind of next in our lives individually, as families, even as a church. But I don't think we've shared or asked you to do this very well. And so I'm going to ask you, would you genuinely take moments and time over these next few weeks to just pray that God would kind of open our eyes as a church to what He has in front of us in the future, you know? It, and I don't know how you roll or how your family rolls, but there's times where you kind of look around and you realize like, okay, something's going on. God's stirring something up. What's going on? And in those times, you begin praying and you're just trying to sense from God what He's doing. And that's where I believe we're our pastors. We believe we are as a church. And shame on us if we're not praying as a church. And shame on me if we're not asking you to pray. So if you would, just as generically as that is, if we're in your private time, your quiet time, whatever, would you just you know, ask the God of heaven to speak to your heart about what He's wanting in your future individually, what He's, and us collectively as a church, for us as pastors and all of that, it's just so important to us. So, so just wanted to ask you to do that. Well, take your Bible, if you would, and look with me in the book of Proverbs. We just started a series in Proverbs, and I'm enjoying it and excited about it. I've never preached through it before. It's a little bit of a daunting, intimidating book, just... Uh, and so, uh, anyway, but the, the thing that I want you to, as I kind of introduce this for us this morning, is to recognize that the book of Proverbs is not just a, a book you go to to get some wisdom out of. It's not a, 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 another version of Wikipedia. Oh, I, I don't know what I need to do here. I don't know what I need to do there. I don't know what I need to do here. It's not something that we just turn to for wisdom. In other words, it's not a book that an atheist can turn to. There's there's tremendous wisdom that you don't even have to be a follower of Jesus. You don't even have to believe in God to, to recognize some of the principles that there in here. In fact, to be honest with you, there's a lot of principles that people in business in the world rely on. They just don't know that God kind of said it a few thousand years before they ever thought of it. And just the wisdom is profound. But I want us to recognize that the book of Proverbs is first and foremost a book about Jesus. All the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about about Jesus. And wisdom itself is a personification. It is a picture of who Jesus is. In fact, in Proverbs 8, uh, if you're taking notes on this, you can write down, jot down Proverbs 8. I'm not going to read it, but verse 22 through 30 talks about how when God made this world, that wisdom was already here. 
and that wisdom was with God, and it was through wisdom that God created the world. Well, when you piece that together, and you look at John 1.1, and the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, you begin to discover that when God the Father spoke this Word into Jesus, that Jesus was that Word that spoke into the world. And Proverbs 8 is connecting some dots that wisdom is really talking about Jesus. And then if you look over in 1 Corinthians, this, this can be on the screen, I think. Um, if you look at 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> excuse me, and read with me in verse 22 through 24, when Paul is talking about the gospel, he says, the Jews demand signs, they demand miracles, and Greeks seek wisdom. In other words, here's what people are demanding of God in order to really believe the truth and believe about Jesus. Some, some want miracles, and the Greeks, because they're all about philosophy, right? They want wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, following to the Gentiles, but those who are called, in other words, those who are saved, both Jews and Greeks, here it is, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Jesus is wisdom. So when you read the book of Proverbs, don't make the mistake that I have made for years and that so many have made, and, and recognize when the Bible is talking about wisdom, it's also talking about Jesus. So with that, in mind. Let's read the first few verses here. Wisdom, in verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. See how wisdom is personified? It's a person. It's wisdom crying out, reaching out to the people around. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. If you return at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my Spirit to you. Hard not to see Jesus and the Holy Spirit in some references in here. And I will make my words known to you. First thing I want us to recognize this morning as we think about wisdom in our life and, and what it means to pursue wisdom and to gain that in our, in our life, the first thing I want us to recognize is wisdom's cry. You see, Solomon, as he's writing to us under the leadership of God, and these words are pure and true. You can take them to the bank. They are Because they are God's word, God has no sin, no wrong, no error within him. And so these words are without error to us. And he says, wisdom is crying out all around to the marketplace and in the streets and in the neighborhood saying, come, come listen to what I have to say. How long will you ignore the words that I have to say? How long will you not accept and recognize the reproof that I give you. It's, I'm calling out to you. When you and I are in a point, and we get this so often, don't we? Probably weekly, like, what should I do? What's the best way to go about this? What, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do that? And, you know, and some of our friends, they have wonderful plans for our lives. You know, sometimes, honestly, even as pastors, we can make the mistake. You know, oh, I know what you should do in that situation. And truth be known, you know, we don't. But we look to all kinds of places and we feel like wisdom can be elusive. Sometimes we feel like, I just I don't have a good sense of, of what I should do. Like Almost like it's a, a, a scarce resource or an endangered species. We can't find it when we need it. And what God is telling us here is it's the exact opposite. Is that God's wisdom is out looking for us, and it's out and available to all. It's there, ready for the taking, ready for the having, that, 
that God is speaking out into the world and He's speaking out into our lives and saying, hey, the problem is not the lack of, of availability of the wisdom, not the lack of the availability of Jesus working in our lives. The problem is, is that we are not attuned to it and we're not willing to listen to it. See, wisdom's Christ says, come to me. Anybody that wants to come, I will, I'll help you. I'm, I'm here. It's in the streets, in the noisy streets. God is searching out people to experience Him and to experience His grace and experience that wisdom in their lives. I want us to recognize, though, there's kind of three classes here of people. In verse 22, it's the simple ones, it's the scoffers, and the knowledge. It kind of goes from, uh, from you know, low-grade ignorance and foolishness to kind of hardened criminal foolishness. So, you know, parents especially take note here. When you have your kids and they're born into this world, they are the simple ones. I mean, we love them and they're cute and all of that, but their brains, you know, they're amazing, but they're, they just don't have a lot figured out in life yet. <laughs> they're pretty young. They're the simple ones. We are born into this world by nature naive. That's what it's talking about. We're born into this world kind of clueless. We're born into this world simple ones. And it's really not a compliment. God recognizes it. And our job as parents, our job is, is even as a church family, as we support parents in raising kids and helping them to know God and His words, is to move kids out of being naive. Move them out of foolishness. And so kids are born into this world. We were all born into this in the simple-minded things. But have we not seen as kids get older, if they don't begin to, to turn toward God and pursue wisdom and pursue Jesus and God in their life, they become a little more hardened. They become more scoffers, where they don't just don't know anything, they actually begin to know something. But they think they know something better than what God would have to say. And sometimes, mom and dad, they even think they know better than you, and they can get a cynical, scoffing mockery. So if you don't turn the simpleton you know, to the, more to the wise, and they're not turning into God... It's a progressive getting hardened. That's the way sin works in our life. It always starts at a lower level, and it progresses always. And then mom and dad, if the kids, and as you're working through you know, with your own kids, if they're hitting into that, the, the truth of the matter, the issue is it just isn't between just you and them. The issue is, is that they're not pursuing God and His wisdom in this, and then ultimately they become hardened criminals in that, that they are... They outright fools where they just do not love knowledge whatsoever. That's their characteristic. So they go from just being kind of ignorant to then thinking they know something, but kind of mocking and thinking they know better and rejecting authority, as we see in, our, in so many teens, to then where they become young adults and on, and they're just outright fools, rejecting any wisdom, any knowledge, anything of God in their life. Now, how does God's wisdom speak into our heart? There's a little bit of a clue in here. Notice that the Bible says in verse 23, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my Spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. You see, God brings His conviction. God brings His reproof. God brings His correction into our life 
when we do wrong. And what that is, is it's God's wisdom saying, hey, you messed up. Like, you really did wrong. That's not cool. It's called shame and guilt. You see, shame and guilt in the culture around us today is seen as something bad. It's seen as something you need to get rid of. It's seen as something you need to, to do away with. And you need to understand, and we need to understand as followers of Christ, the reason the world around us thinks that's bad is because the world around us thinks that we are all just inherently good and that we are victims, that we're really not ultimately guilty of anything. And if that were true, then we should get rid of all shame and guilt. Why do you feel ashamed? Why do you feel guilty? There's nothing wrong with you. You didn't do anything really that wrong. Yeah, you kind of, you know, were a jerk to that person and you did wrong to this, but eh, they deserved it. It's not your fault. And what God says is the exact opposite. You see, that's God's wisdom into our hearts. And you don't have to be a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be a person of faith to experience guilt and shame in life. That's the wisdom of God that comes upon every soul, every human being that's in the world around us. And what that is, is it's God calling out to us, saying, yes, you are a pretty cool person, and you're pretty awesome, but sometimes you're not so awesome. And sometimes you really screw up, and you really did it here, and you really did it there, and you did it here. And what God's trying to do is to get us to stop and to put us in a spot where we can't get rid of it so that ultimately we'll turn to Him. And there's something you don't have to know a whole lot. I mean, you don't even have to have read the Bible. Everywhere people around the world feel guilty about doing things that are wrong. There's a moral compass, I've described it, that lives inside of us. It doesn't quite point true north. You may or may not know this. Magnetic north on an actual physical compass. They actually made those once upon a time, kids. They're not GPS systems. There is actually a compass, you know, and a north and south and east and west. And, but true north actually isn't point magnetic north. It's off. It's the same way with us morally. That We'll feel guilty about things, but we're still a little off. Our, our sense of right and wrong is not quite right. And so God sends that into the heart of a child early on. And if that's not recognized in each of us, in the people in the world, then we become a little bit more hardened. And then we become the scoffers that think we know better. And then we become the hardened fools. So there's a, there's a cry that's in the street. And really, that's ultimately what we as a church are about, is about sharing the gospel. And, and, put, and we join in that cry saying, guys, God wants to forgive you and help you with that. That guilt and that shame is a recognition that we've done wrong and it's meant to draw us to God. It's meant for us to go to a solution. It's meant for us to hurt in our soul so that we go get some relief. It's meant for us to dial 911 spiritually and even if we don't know who God is, to say there's got to be something else in this world around me. There's got to be something. How do I deal with this? And we start asking those questions. And when we start doing that, the God of heaven begins engaging in our world and bringing us to Him. So that's the cry of wisdom. It's Jesus in essence in the world. The Holy Spirit today uh, in Jesus' place convicting, convicting the world of sin that John told us, that we read about. Jesus told us in John and drawing people to Himself. That's the cry. Second thing I want you to recognize is the calamity of wisdom. What happens when we don't recognize that 
that cry? What happens when we ignore that? Verse 24 says this. Wisdom says, because I've called and you refuse to listen, you've stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel. God doesn't just give us one little scrap calling to us, but repeatedly. Because you rejected all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. You didn't respond when you felt guilty. You ignored it and went on. You tried to blow it off. I will mock. Oh, in verse 26, I also will laugh at your calamity, and I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Here's why. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. And they would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. We could keep reading there, but we won't for right now. You see, God calls to us. And wisdom's calamity says this. When we ignore and reject the wisdom of God and the God of wisdom, and we blow them off or just don't pay attention, this calamity comes always. And God's posture to us is not one of deliverance. Wisdom's posture is not, oh, I'll fix that now. Wisdom says, yeah, I got nothing for you. You're stuck. You're in a bad spot because you ignored me. Do we not do that as people? Do we not ignore the things that we know that are right? And then when we get in a jam and it comes... We then go to God, God, get me out of this. And truth be known, there is no way out. That's what this verse is saying. This verse, these verses are telling us this, that if you don't want to get stuck in the mud, it's better to stay out of the mud. If you want to get out of the danger, don't get into it in the first place. Wisdom says, if you pursue me, we're going to see in a minute, there's tremendous blessing and safety in it. And we discover God along the way, and I'm going to make that even clearer in just a moment. But when you ignore it, we 100% of the time will go off the road, and it will get a lot worse than we ever bargained for. And when we get down into that mess, there is no easy way out. And we're looking for solutions, and we beg God, get me out of this. And we think, why did I do that? And sometimes, sometimes if we really rejected the Conviction in our heart. We don't even ask that. We're just like, we get mad. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be having to deal with this. Why is this going on? And all the while, God's just kind of looking at us like, wow, you made some, you crossed some exits back there. <laughs> you made some choices. And this is what happens. Folks, I want to help you understand reality and I want to give you a little encouragement in it. Something as a pastor and it's just as a, a father and as a friend, I've seen this in so many people's lives, not seen it in the community. If you, if you read even stories like news stories nationally, you'll see it there too. I've seen it and had front row seats trying to help people as they've made bad choices end up in those messes because 
Our job as a church is not to blow people off. Well, you were just dumb and you just made some dumb choices. Sorry, nice. You know, we're, we want to be a church of people that all have their act together, that don't have any messes, never messed up in life, you know. We'd be a pretty empty church. I wouldn't even be here if that was reality. But I don't want to gloss over it. There is hope in God, but you're going to have to walk through some really, 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 really hard, tough times. And depending on the mess you made, you may be in that for years. And your life may not be ultimately what it could have been, should have been, would have been. And that's some reality. Now the good news is, is that there is hope with Jesus. And He will help you, but you still are going to have to endure the natural consequences of how badly you've just ignored and thrown off what God said and just neglected it. We'll see in a minute. You don't even have to consciously do it. You can just ignore it and neglect it. And it's a reality. So if you're in the middle of that and you're in a spot where you kind of realize, like, yeah, I've really blown it. And it gets discouraging because you're suffering that and you've experienced that. Like, I, I, don't, I didn't mean to get to this spot. I didn't realize because I did this, this was going to happen. I didn't want to land here, but I didn't know that just playing around here would get me stuck. Your job at that point is to say, God, I recognize where I messed up. God, if I'm missing where I messed up and need to see even more of it, would you show that to me? Would you convict me and correct me? Because God's trying to get your attention. Actually, those troubles are God's grace coming to you. God is, God is like a wise parent, or maybe I should say a wise parent tries to be like God, that you bring the the punishment and the discipline and the correction and the awareness that fits the crime. So, you know, the bigger it goes, God's like, okay, this is going to get a whole lot harder. And our job is to say, God, I know that I've messed up. Help me to see even more because I want to own it, not to ignore it. When our life gets in a mess, sometimes we're busy blaming other people for all that they've done to us and everything. And God's like, would you just stop? Stop the screaming, stop the whatever you've got going on. And would you just ask me like, what happened in your life to get it here? I'm not saying that everything bad that happens to you is your fault. I'm not saying that. But I am saying a lot of it is because of choices that we've made. But if we turn to God in the middle of it, He will help us endure that difficulty. He will meet us in the middle of it. There may not be a way out of it to just fix it and like a fairy godmother wave a little bippity-boppity-boo, you know, a little wand to just take us out of the pain. But God will be the, the ER nurse, the doctor that comes along that says, okay, I know you're in triage. Let me just help you. You're going to get through this. This is not terminal. And then as you turn to God, then other areas of your life begin blossoming because he does then begin blessing you. That's what the book of Hosea talks about. When, when we sow to the wind, we reap the whirlwind. When we plant seeds that are wrong and ignore what God does in our life, we reap and get more. Plant one tomato seed, if you do it right, you get dozens, right? Plant one little grain of corn and you get, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands. I've not ever sat down and count the kernels of corn you know, around it. You always get more when you plant. So we always get worse consequences than whatever little thing we did wrong. And if we recognize that principle of, of sowing and reaping in our life, then we begin pursuing God, then we begin to reap the good things of God in our life, all the while still having to live with the difficult consequences 
So wisdom has a calamity. Let me look at wisdom's choice. I need to move on. My son, chapter 2, verse 1, if you, if, get these ifs down. If you're highlighting and you're, you can highlight electronically or if you've got a physical Bible, highlight it. But if is big in these next few verses. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is wisdom's choice. This is binary. I know binary is not cool or popular in our world around us, but I'm sorry. There's two choices here. There's not three, four, ten, and twenty, or however many we want to make up. There's two. You either pursue wisdom in God, look for it, value it, treasure it, pay attention to it, turn your ears on, listening ears, you know, call out asking for that wisdom along the way, looking for for treasure. You ever lose your car keys? My wife will tell you, I just there's not much that sets me off in this world, but when I go around trying to find something I've mislaid, I just go bananas. And it just, I'm like, I'm upstairs and down, and I begin feeling like I'm dizzy. And I'm like, honey, where did I leave it? And inevitably, I think it's a superpower. I think it's either her superpower. My operational theory is it's a wife-mom superpower. She always finds it. I don't know how. I could leave it anywhere, and she's got it like that, and I've spent 15 minutes looking for it. But when you lose something that is important to you, you stop at nothing till you find it. You overcome whatever obstacle it is. You're miserable till you get it, and you go after it. This is what the Bible is telling us our life is supposed to be like as followers of Jesus. We should be treasuring the wisdom of God that comes from God Himself that really ultimately is in the Word of God and in the person of Jesus, this Word to our generation and to our world. We should be pursuing that with all that we've got. We should be paying attention. Not distracted living. You've heard of distracted driving. Most of us have been distracted living. <laughs> we're just our brains and we're just doing all kinds of other things. And God's like, pay attention. If you do those things, 100% of the time, you will find not just wisdom, and this is a little clearer to you, you will understand the fear of God and you will find the knowledge of God. In other words, you will know God. You'll find that God experientially. You will know Him. You won't just know the stuff that God's trying to tell you, but you will know God in the process. You see, if we make God the greatest treasure in our heart, then we will find Him. And we will find whatever wisdom practically, as we think about wisdom of what to do in life and how to think and behave and act and our attitudes and how to navigate things and how to feel better about things. And the reason is, is because ultimately we are finding God Himself in our life. But it takes us going all in, and it takes us going all in constantly. That's the part you and I struggle with the most. There's a, there's a, there's a, a cost and a hurdle to get over when people are trying to figure out if they're really going to believe in Jesus and really surrender and commit their life to Him and go all in with Him, there's a price to be paid. I mean, Jesus paid the price, yes, but there's a laying down of our life, a surrendering of our life, a 
yielding of ourselves and saying, I am a sinner, and I recognize that, and, and receiving Jesus by faith and saying, I'm going to be all in with Him. But then after that, we, we experience that and we, we trust Him. And that is a momentary thing. But then God calls us to continue to treasure and focus and grow and live that out the rest of our life. And like, if you're like me, we're probably a little more bulimic in that than reality, than we want to admit or know. We probably are, sometimes we probably go and we're in good shape and we're really focused and everything, and other times we're distracted. We just don't feel like it. We're doing other things. And then we go hot and heavy again and we're not. And it kind of works that way physically as it does spiritually. It's really not the healthiest way to live. But we all do it more than we want to admit. And so the challenge, what God's calling us to, is this is kind of a what's next health checkup, if you will, spiritually, is where are we in our focus with God? Where are you individually in pursuing that wisdom? Is that the greatest thing that you treasure right now in your life? Now, we can treasure a lot of good things. I'm not even talking about things that are wrong. I'm talking about even just good things that are good. And we can even treasure good spiritual Christian things. But even in those, we're really not pursuing God and His wisdom. So I want to challenge you this morning to think about where you are and what you're really valuing. Because if we're not in any moment and along the way not really pursuing God, then we are headed off into the ditch going down the wrong road. That's wisdom's choice. Wisdom's crown says this. You look for the Lord and you find Him. Then you will find the knowledge of God. Verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those walk, who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. We ran into that three, those three things earlier last week. Then you will understand these things in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You can keep reading there, but we won't. When we pursue wisdom and we pursue the God of wisdom, the crown that we receive is God Himself. But that, when we love integrity, and that's our guiding principle, not how much can we get away with, or is this right or wrong, and I'm going to get right up close to the line, but when we just want to live with the integrity of our life, when we want to walk in those paths of justice and righteousness, and we pursue that, that becomes the blessing in every area of our life. And God's hand, as it were, just settles in upon us. You ever been around people that just seem to know what to do and the right way to go and how to live? And sometimes you stand back like, how do they just land on their feet? How do they know that? Very often, it's, again, think of Christians here, it's because people are walking with God. They've got a lifetime of living with God and pursuing them, and God has corrected their life and brought their life into alignment that they just kind of smell the wrong way to go from far away. And they're not easily fooled, and they're not tricked, and they see it, and they avoid it. And, and they live in such a way. 
I'm in awe of people, you know, that, that have that kind of thing. Because as I just, I missed it a minute ago, but with, with wisdom's choice, it's not that you and I have to choose to go the wrong way. It's not that we have to choose to be, you know, hardened, just ignore, blowing God off or whatever. We just ignore Him. We just decide not to make Him the greatest thing to us. We decide ourselves to pursue other things. And it happens automatically. It can be a complacency in our life. And so we have to, God is just telling us, you know, individually and as a church, as a gang, recognize that I'm to be pursued above all else. And when you do, I will crown your life unbelievably be a blessing to you. And you avoid some of the people that we talked about last week. I won't take time to read all of the rest of chapter 2. That I will help you escape the men that will be out to harm you and to, to rob and, and steal from you. I will deliver you from the woman that's going to tempt you, or man, whichever. This is writing to a son, but in that case it would be with a woman tempting, verse 16. But it applies, ladies, to you as well, but you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth. In other words, she's ignoring her own husband, and she forgets the covenant of her God. It says, you'll hear those words and you'll escape it. If affairs and adultery happen, not first physically, despite what TV shows may show, they happen with words, and they happen with the compliments, and they happen with the respect, and they happen with the, oh, wow, kind of conversations. And when you are pursuing God in your life, it helps you avoid all of the other garbage that could come to you, and it just takes that off the table. What that means is, is when you and I are struggling with sin in our life, it's not, it's in, it is insufficient. It's not enough to just say, I've got to stop that. I've got to stop that. I've got to stop that. We have to say, God, I want to stop that, and I'm not going to go there. And you know what? Instead, I'm going to pursue you. You know, parents, we do need to tell our kids no. It's not going to permanently damage your kid's psyche if you, they hear no. In fact, it's healthy. Now, if they hear no all the time, that's all they hear, and you've got to. A no, you know, kind of thing. Well, now that's bad. But it's healthy, healthy and helpful for kids to hear no. But we spend our time saying, no over here, yes over here. Don't do that. But then we need to come along and say, do this instead. And for us as followers of Jesus, the do this is saying, I want to pursue wisdom and I want to pursue God. If this could be a reality, it would be awesome. But you and I carry around with us our sin nature that's still inside of us. We still go for a while and we're like, oh, but I like this. Oh, go for a while. Oh, but I, oh, you know, we kind of we do one of those deals. But the, what you and I are going after, what this is telling us, is the more that we can just put our focus on God in our life, and He's what our delight is, and what we really want, and we go hard after that, it makes it easier to deal with all of the distractions, all of the temptations, to get out of all of the junk that we land in. Because we focus on the good, and we don't have to then worry about the 20,000 things that we shouldn't be doing. We're just worried about the one thing that we ought to be doing. So the, Solomon is giving us kind of the, the keys to the, 
the car, where we should be headed in life, if you will, and telling us that we have a choice to go God's way and to really pursue after that hard or just be casual and complacent. And if we do, we're going to end up in a mess. Now, i got to admit, I sat down at this and I thought, wow, Lord, that's a hard sell. How many of us know to eat better than we really do 24-7? Me too. How many of us know to exercise better than we do? Me too. How many of us know to do most things in life better than we really do? How many of us know how to be better spouses than we really are? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on that one, but that's it's for real. We are all educated beyond our level of obedience. The issue is not more knowledge. We don't need any more Google searches. We don't need any more podcasts. We don't need any more how-tos and tricks and tips. The issue is inside of us. It's the will and obedience of our hearts. And this is not a sexy, exciting kind of message because this kind of thing says we treasure up this wisdom because down the road we're going to need it. This is not a, hey, if you do this one little thing, you're going to get this. You're going to do this, you're going to get that. This is not like the, a lot of the modern parenting. Oh, kid, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you and give you this kind of instant reward and kind of almost manipulate their little behavior. No, this says, you know what? You just need to pursue wisdom for wisdom's sake because maybe in 20 years from now, you might need that little piece there. It's more like saving for retirement that you don't get an initial benefit from except just seeing a number and a feel good, but you know at the end of the day you're going to be okay, or at least you hope you are. That's what this is. It's you and I pursuing God for the sake of God because it's the right thing to do and knowing that we just trust the blessing of life that comes with Him. So I wish I could give you a lot more just bells and whistles with it, but that's not what reality is. So you've got a choice to pursue God or not. So my challenge is simply is where are you? Yourself, an inventory. This season as we're going through this as a church, we're wanting to not only just kind of reflect on what we're doing as a church, like, you know, even different little things. We're always trying to improve things along. You may or may not have noticed, but we've got new speakers in the ceiling. They're not used today, but they will be used soon. We're always just trying to, to improve. But what needs to be improved is not the outside stuff, it's the inside stuff. And we're talking about helping the sound be better in the cafe. We know it's loud, you know, you can't talk and hardly hear. We're going to work on that and on other things. But we want you to invest and think about where are you spiritually? This is a time for us when we think about what's next, about what's next for you in your relationship with God. And as a part of that, renewing in that, what's next for us as a church and church family. Second big thing, and I want to I get a little more focused with you mom and dad at home. Where are you with your kids and teaching them the wisdom and the knowledge of God in comparison to everything else that you're focused on with them? That's a little bit of a low blow, I'll be really honest with you, because I've been as a parent for many years that way. Make sure you do good in school. Make sure you do this. Oh, we've got to get you to this game. got to get you to that activity. got to get you to this. Oh, your friend's house got birthday party. I mean, we spent all kinds of time juggling all of that. And God just told us, 
But if you don't make the priority of your parenting for your kids to know God and experience what that's like, you're setting them up for a lifetime of disaster. And so mom and dad, take an inventory of your life. Your kid will be okay if they don't get to some of these things. They'll tell you they won't be and that all their friends have got this and that, but they'll be okay. They won't be okay if they don't know God. Now, some of you parents, I want to be careful here because parents live under such guilt. I think parents today live under more guilt than ever before. <laughs> it, you know, 50 years ago or whenever before the internet was invented, you didn't have access to all the knowledge. Now you're like, oh yeah, you're a bad parent if you don't use this particular diaper bag, you know, you're, you're just really not as good, and you're not a good parent if you don't do this, and you don't do that, and there's just too much information. So, I don't, last thing I ever want to do is put a guilt trip on anybody, because parents tend to always think that, well, I'm not doing enough. And so, you're probably doing more than you think. When you talk about your children and how to do that, is make sure your life is there, that you're focusing in on God. Because when you're focused in on God and God's your priority, it's going to kind of spill out and slosh over in your kid's life. You're going to kind of begin governing and not trying to put the focus on all of that stuff. But, so get yourself where you need to be, and then make sure you have some specific, tangible things that you're doing with the kids. Not just bringing them to church. That's important. And we try to do our program so kids get the gospel and hear it all the way through. We run our youth ministries so that they hear God's word and they're growing in that. But those are in support of mom and dad, you at home. So what are you doing at home during the week? Spiritually, consciously, talking with them, talking about things, maybe reading the Bible. I don't know. But think about that. And whatever God kind of brings to your mind, mom or dad or two of you together, do that one little thing. You don't need to do 20 things. I don't need to load it down, but do that one thing. Grandparents and aunts and uncles in the room, you're not off the hook. Because if mom and dad's not doing it, congratulations, you're now the one responsible to help them. And don't ever underestimate the influence that God can have in your life or in their life through you. And the rest of you, if you don't have nieces and nephews or grandkids in that category, the rest of you need to look around the room and say, you know what? That's a part of my role at River. My, my youngest is now 16, so my kids are timing out through the system. But I got to tell you, I want my kids to be around godly adults. I want them to see and to know when they're 20 and 30 years old, I want them to remember back to so-and-so. I want the kids pick up on stuff. They pick up on stuff in conversations. They pick up on stuff when you serve, good and bad, and they recognize and see those things. Our kids and young adults, they're around enough garbage in this world. They need to see and reflect and see what, what, what families and a church family and individuals look like I love the guys, you men, who are serving in our kids' program and uh, in our, our older grades. I love that. I want those boys to get a picture, you to be accessible into their life, uh, into that world. I, that's what we want as a church family. So, folks, this is not a guilt trip at all. The last thing you need to do is like go home and write 50 million things to do. 
do one thing. God, what are you saying to me in this? What are you saying to me for my life? What are you saying to me about our church? What are you saying to me about our family or just whatever that family unit looks like for you or extended family? And whatever God seems to bring to your mind as you pray about and think about, focus on that and do that one thing, all right? That's what Next Steps is about. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the truth of Proverbs. Thank you for just your grace and giving us wisdom of how to live our life. And Lord, the issue isn't a lack of wisdom or lack of knowing how to live. The issue is us just really needing to invest a lifetime of pursuing you. Thank you, Lord, when we do that. And none of us will do that perfectly, me included. But Lord, all of us, as we lean into that more and more, we reap a lifetime of blessing and of good fruit in our life. And you help us avoid so much garbage. Help us to do that for ourselves. And Lord, help us to be a church and a people that not judgmental, not writing people off. In fact, the opposite, wading into the messes of their life, even knowing that the mess they're in is a lot of their own doing. Help us to have compassion and mercy just as Jesus did and just as you do in the world around us. You, you've warned us that we're going to go through some bad stuff because of what we've done. But you reach out in mercy and love and help us and meet us where we are. Help us to be that as a church, Lord, to see the world around us that way. Help us to avoid the stupidity and the crazy stuff in the world around us. Help us to have your simple wisdom and truth, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.